Welcome to church, guys. It's so good to, to be with you. My name is Chris, and I am really, really excited to introduce um, a dear friend of mine who is going to be bringing the word today. Trinity, uh, since our very beginning, we've had a heart to plant churches, and we've planted a number of churches over the years. And our Northside Parish, which was planted just really before the pandemic, um, and during the pandemic, the leader of the Northside, Trip Prince, uh, felt that he couldn't replant. Um, and he stepped into some nonprofit work uh, that left a real opening for us, and it was a, a critical time in the life of the North Side and and in the life of my own leadership journey because we worried that uh, that church might not have a pastor, and it was hard to find a pastor in the middle of a global pandemic. And I had been mentoring this guy sitting on the front row, John, alongside his wife, Jana, uh, for a couple of years. They were living in Los Angeles. You're going to hear more about that in a little bit. And some circumstances in their life coincided with circumstances here at Trinity, and they discerned a call to move here to Atlanta in the middle of a global pandemic and take over the Northside Parish to lead it into the future. And I just want to say that John and Jana are um, dear to my heart, and they are dear to the story of what God has done at Trinity. One of the things that you don't always touch here on the West Side is that out of this church, so much mission has gone out of this church, and they are a part of that mission. And so while he's not in this building every Sunday, um, he is doing ministry as an extension of what God started in the dream here. And I am just so thankful that John and Jana and myself, that we continue in a relationship, that we get to celebrate what God is doing on the north side. And I am pumped that you get to hear from this son of New Orleans today as he comes to bring the word to us. John, come on up, my brother. I love you very much. Bless you. Thanks, brother. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Good to see you. It's such an honor to be with you uh, for the first time, really, first time to preach, but it's actually not my first time to be in this building. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I, my co-planter, -co co-pastor, were here for a conference, and it was at that conference that Chris got up with a group of staff from Trinity, and they were uh, kind of doing a little breakout session, and we were just so impressed with uh, the things that they were sharing, but also just the fact that so many folks on the team had been there for 10 plus years. And that some of them had been there from the very beginning of the plant of Trinity. Now, I'm not sure how much you guys know about church planning, but a lot of church planning is hard, okay? And it often burns through staff. I mean, a lot of times you begin with the team and that whole team's gone in year two or year three. And to, to come out here, to fly out to Atlanta and see this group of, of folks here on the stage, having worked together and loved each other and been together for so long, Jen and I said, we've got to learn from these people. Like, I want to be more like that. I want to be the kind of leader that doesn't burn people out. And so we reached out to Chris and we said, hey, will you help us? Will you coach us? Will you mentor us? And he did. He jumped on FaceTime with us like once a month and was coaching us. And so, Chris, just want to say thank you so much. I said in the 9 o'clock how much I love you, so I'm not going to say it again. But no, just kidding. I love you, and it's really your love for us is such a huge part of, of why we came here, why we would um, be willing to be a part of this. So this morning, I want to talk to you guys about the gospel. 
Uh, before we get into the passage, I want to just take a little bit to share a little bit about our, our life. Um, we can't do this alone. Like, we're not called to be individual Christians, right? Like, the, the, the mission here is to be a people growing in Christ's image. Like, a people. Like, we do this together. And not only are we doing this together as congregation, literally, as Anglicans, we are in a family of churches. And something we were super excited about moving here to Atlanta was to be a part of this. Like, be a part of what you guys are doing and what's happening at Emmanuel and at Redeemer and, and up at the parish. That we get to be connected and we, and we get to support and love each other. So, uh, we get to be a part of your story. So, we just want to share a little bit about ours um, before we get in. As Chris said, I am a native of New Orleans. I am the son of a Pentecostal preacher man. And I... Met my wife, Jana, at the University of Louisiana Lafayette in a campus ministry called Chi Alpha. And I've always had a heart for missions. I've always loved cultures. And after undergrad, I, I moved to Berlin, Germany to serve there as a missionary, work with someone that was doing campus missions there, and served there for about three years. And then after Berlin, moved back to Louisiana. Jana and I got married and... After not too long, we moved out to uh, California to go to Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And that was a great experience. But toward the end of our time in seminary, we figured out, oh, no, I think we're Anglican. And that was kind of a big deal. And so we had to figure out what to do with that. And so someone introduced us to this bishop named Todd Hunter. And it wasn't long after that that Todd became our bishop. And not too long later, he became your bishop as well. And that's kind of how we got to be in the same family. In 2014, we became missionaries to a Los Angeles neighborhood called Highland Park, which is a beautiful and a very colorful neighborhood. It's majority Chicano and Latino immigrant, but... There's also lots of new different types of folks moving there, lots of artists and cultural creatives. You could say it's a good place to find both really good taco trucks and really good coffee and everything else that might go with it. When we first moved to the neighborhood, we were able to join the community garden, which was just about a block from our house. And so we had a little plot in that community garden. And one day I was in that garden, I was watering the plot. And Jesus appeared to me at the gate and he said, will you wash my feet? Only thing is, it wasn't really Jesus. It was a woman named Cindy. She had grown up in the neighborhood, had been experiencing homelessness, living on the streets for quite some time. She was asking if I could wash her feet. I took it as an invitation from Christ himself. Literally my opportunity to wash the feet of Christ. But it was also in a way to be Christ to someone else. To represent his love and hospitality. So I said, sure, I will wash your feet. A few weeks later, Cindy was at our house. We had dinner. I believe she took a shower at our house. And I might not have been able to name it at the time. But as I look back on my life and what was the meaning of that, I realized that in a way that was Christ's confirmation of a call that he had put on our lives for Jenna and me. 
And that call is to a ministry of hospitality. And what I mean by that is simply receiving the hospitality that we have received from Christ. How he on the cross made a way for us to be in his family and he welcomed us. That we now extend that hospitality towards others. And so we had a vision of hospitality in a neighborhood that was increasingly divided along ethnic and socioeconomic lines. We dreamed of setting a table, the one table of our Lord, where all people of the neighborhood might be welcome. All those who are hungry might be gathered to feast on Christ at his table. And so the construction worker from Tijuana, together with the Michigander who sold podcast ads, the young Korean communist filmmaker, together with the undocumented Mexican janitor, together with the older white libertarian professor of finance, the artist and the school teacher, the up and coming pop star and the caregiver, Catholics and Presbyterians, the churched, the de-churched, the trying to have faith in Christ again, all coming together, hungry to receive Christ at his table. The overwhelming majority of the people that came, came from some other means. We did not invite them. All we simply did was set a table and create a community where people who are hungry might get fed. A place where the least likely to become friends might be joined into the one family of God. Fast forward to 2021, lots of things had happened. There was this thing, I think you guys had it here too, COVID, like this global pandemic and a lot of different things going on. And it was around this time last year, after many prayers and conversations with Chris and a visit to Atlanta, that we had discerned that our time in L.A. had come to an end. And that the Lord was opening new doors for us to come here. And so we moved to Atlanta in July. And then in November, the Braves won the World Series. <laughs> and then in January, Georgia won the national championship. And so we know that this is a sure sign, right, of God's divine favor has come with us to this city. And we all get to be a part of it. We're really excited to begin a new chapter of life here with you guys. We're happy to be a part of this Trinity family of churches. We're excited to replant the north side. Excited to see what that's going to look like. Get some fresh vision, some fresh leaders. God willing, a missionary spirit. We're not exactly sure what it's going to look like. Might be a little bit different than our experience in Los Angeles. But at the end of the day, our work is still the same. We're here to set a table. We're here to create a community of hospitality and to welcome in folks who are hungry. So I want to just say to you this morning, maybe you know someone living on our side of town who's hungry, might want to be welcomed into a community of hospitality. We would love to connect with them. 
Would you connect us? Maybe you know someone living on our side of town who wants to join us in this ministry of hospitality. We'd love to meet them. Connect us. Amen. Let's get into the gospel. Our gospel reading today comes from the gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning in the 31st verse. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today. And tomorrow and on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you refused Herod's ways of fear and violence, and you demonstrated unwavering trust in the will of your Father when you were willing, when you willingly opened your arms to those who would reject and kill you. Teach us to walk in the way of the cross that we may find it none other than the way of life and peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I must be on my way. As I first read this passage, I was struck at just how fearless Jesus was in the, in the face of a credible threat on his life. I must be on my way. This is how Jesus responds to the Pharisees when they come to let him know that the same man who killed his cousin, John the Baptist, literally the forerunner of his ministry, the one most closely associated with his ministry, now wants to kill him. You see, prophets like John the Baptist and Jesus, they are a threat to the status quo. Their message undermines regimes like those of Herod's that are built on violence and fear. Herod wants to kill you. You should leave. It's literally a failure of hospitality. It's a scenario all too familiar to us. The Herods of our world deem certain kinds of people as a threat to society. They undermine our ideology, our way of life, our sense of freedom, and everything good that our society is built on. 
And so therefore they must go. I must be on my way, but not for reasons you might think. A little geography lesson for you here. Herod is the ruler of Galilee, which is in the north of Israel, okay? And Jesus' ministry also begins there in Galilee. And if you've been hanging with us for the past couple of weeks, you might know that Jesus was going around healing folks. And he was going around gathering folks on the margins and bringing them into the family. And he was casting out evil and he was preaching the good news of the gospel. That was his job. That's what he was doing. But then in Luke 9, 51, we have this verse that says, And then Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. You see, friends, he's still in Galilee, but now he's walking and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the place where he will die. He's on his way, like us during Lent, on the way to the cross. And so when he gets this message, which Herod doesn't know, is that he's already on his way outside of Galilee. But his message to Herod is going to be, actually, you aren't the one who gets to kill me. I'm going to Jerusalem. Those guys are the ones that get to kill me. And so I'm actually going to keep doing what I got to do. Like I still have a few more folks to heal. I got a few more sermons to preach, right? Going to cast out a few more evil spirits today and tomorrow. And then I'll be on my way. Then I'll be to the place where they will kill me in Jerusalem. And I want to point out to us this morning that Jesus isn't actually running from anything. He is walking in and to God's will. Today he's healing and preaching and casting out demons in Galilee. And tomorrow heading to Jerusalem. He's not running from death. He's not driven by fear. And this creates a moment for us to stop and ask, well, am I being driven by something? What am I afraid of? What is driving your life? Is your life animated by a fear of failure or hardship or poverty Maybe the fear of losing your health or pain and suffering. Fear of becoming like your parents. Or the fear of never finding love. Or the fear of losing it. The fear of losing your image. Of growing old. Or maybe the fear of death itself. When we are driven by fear... It's impossible to be led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we are driven by fear, we become Herod. People who rationalize our lack of hospitality towards others. Who feel the need to silence the prophets. And all in the name of order, safety, and economic prosperity. Friends, we are more like Herod than we realize. But Jesus is walking in 
into the will of God. Unlike Herod, Jesus is not driven by fear. He's not afraid to die. His life is animated by God's divine plan. He will walk and trust that plan. He will be an agent of healing and good news today. And he will continue to walk even if it leads to death on a cross. And friends, I don't know about you, but I find that very compelling. I want to be like Jesus. I wonder what it might take for us to be more like him. I wonder what this quiet confidence might look like in my own life. I wonder how Jesus developed such confidence in God's plan. I wonder if it has something to do with his many times of going up to a mountain to pray and to be alone with God. I wonder if Jesus understood God's redemptive plan for suffering. Our text takes a dramatic turn, and I would like us to turn along with it. Jesus' terse rebuttal to Herod, especially with that line, go tell that fox, leads me to believe that he probably wasn't expecting to get a lot out of the relationship in the first place, right? Like there's not a ton of love laws there when it, when it kind of goes down. But then when he starts talking about Jerusalem, the tone changes, doesn't it? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones the ones that God sends to you. How I have longed to gather you in my wings like a mother hen gathers her baby chicks. But you have not wanted. Can you sense the, the deep, affection and also the deep sadness in his voice can you feel the deep disappointment of rejection by those he cared for it's an absolute breakdown in hospitality there's a greek verb that is used three times in this passage it's the word for desire or the word for want. Herod wants to kill you. How often I have wanted to gather you. And like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. But you have not wanted. 
our spiritual ancestors in Jerusalem, good church-going folk like many of us, but like many of us, they had too much invested in their own financial well-being and in their physical safety to allow a radical prophet like Jesus to challenge their system and change their way of life. They refused him hospitality. What else could they do? His life was a threat to theirs. Friends, this is the good news about the cross. The gospel does not end with Herod's rejection of Jesus in Galilee. And it does not end with Jerusalem's rejection of Jesus on the cross. Because the cross is not the end. Instead, it's a new beginning made possible by God. In the sacrificial death, Jesus redefines what the cross means. And with it, he redefines the meaning of life and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and our relationship with our enemies and our relationship with death itself. In Christ, God redefines the meaning of the cross. What was the symbol of our rejection of God becomes the very symbol of God's refusal to let us go our own way. You see, friends, the cross is God's rejection of our rejection. It's his refusal to stop loving us, his refusal to stop extending hospitality towards us, even in the very face of violence. His arms are open wide, like a mother hen who gathers her chicks, longing to gather us in his arms. His arms are open wide on the cross, forgiving us, his enemies, relentless in hospitality and fearless in love. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. If you're able, let's stand together. It's a good word for us to hold in our hearts during this Lenten season. And I'm comforted by the fact that God rejects our rejection.